and welcome back to another episode of 3030 and surviving it's tracy i am so sorry there was not an episode last week i have missed you we had a little bit of a scheduling issue but we have an amazing show for you today i you know normally i'll give a little bit of an introduction and a teaser before saying who the guest is but there is so many different ways that i can describe my guest today and she doesn't really fall into one pocket over another so i i'm not even going to try to simplify it and compartmentalize it for you. I am just going to say that I'm very happy and honored to have Emma Reed with me today. And she and I are going to have a really in-depth, meaningful, some fun moments, sweet moments, just an all-around girls chat conversation. So buckle up, get ready, and please allow me to introduce Miss Emma Reed. How are you? Hey, I'm awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. I um, I feel bad because whenever we go on like a little season break hiatus or like if I'm on vacation or something, I with between my job and sales and then the podcast, I just feel like I'm always on and I'm like always answering people and making sure I got back to people and some when I'm off I want to be off so you poor thing you had like you had reached out and I when I finally started I was like oh my god I feel like such a jerk so thank you for your patience with me and I am so glad that you did reach out because we have a lot to discuss today and a lot of it is very topical I think a lot of it is going to be impactful for women and important for them to hear so Let's not waste any time. Let's just dive right in. I'm going to start with some introductory questions, which I always do. Um, Age, first and foremost. I'm 33 years old. Yes, girl. 33 is a good number. 33 is like a lucky number, right? Thank you. I I feel that way too. Yeah. It's been been an interesting year. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's true, I'm sure. Uh, Where were you born and raised? I was born in Boston, raised in Falmouth. Okay. What is your relationship status? I'm married. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and do you have kids? I do. I have one little one, Ryler. How old? He's two. Oh, so sweet. So sweet. Do you know your zodiac sign? Virgo. And I, I hit it. Do you feel like it, it tracks? It makes sense? A hundred percent. Good, good. And then last but not least, my question for you is, we were actually, Hurley and I were just talking about the Barbie movie and I did go see it on Friday. Um, so now I have sort of childhood toys and dolls and memories in mind. And I'm curious, do you have a specific toy from your childhood that was your favorite and that you remember the most? So I actually do, and all of my friends laugh because it's still in my bed. It's my teddy bear. Um, I still have my childhood teddy bear. That's so cute. Does he have a name or she have a name? Just Mr. Ted. Mr. Ted. Mr. Ted. Oh, starring in Ted (laughs) 1 and Ted 2. I know, right? (laughs) Thought, I mean, hey, you know, it's easy to remember. It's a nice name. It's classic. Stands the test of time. There you go. I love that. And I love that you have no shame continuing to keep him on your bed. Oh, no, not at all. (laughs) I'm like, babe, move over. We need room. And it's funny because my husband actually has a little pillow from when he was a baby. It's his Lillo. So he has his little pillow and I have my teddy bear. And we just, we both accept 
This Would is what it is. Would you look at that? <laughs> a match made in heaven. Meant yeah. to be. I love it. Okay, so I want to start off. We're going to obviously dive into a little bit of like a Q&A on, on different areas of your story. But if you wouldn't mind, before we do that, you probably, I'm sure, have some sort of maybe like a couple sentences or so and how you describe your story to most people. And I would love if you could do that just so the audience has a little idea about your background and maybe what your career path was originally, what you were doing, how that sort of shifted over the years. Nothing like, you don't have to go into super detail because we'll get into it afterwards, but just like overview, you know? Yeah. So for my whole life, I dreamed of being a mom and being a journalist. And that kind of, you know, that started happening um, when I found out that I was pregnant during the pandemic. And I went down this journey of trying to balance being both a mom and a journalist. And in that time, I learned just so much about myself, so much about, you know, what it meant to be a mother and how your life would change. And I went down a crazy medical path. Um, that kind of led me to where I am right now. I hope that like sums it up yeah. pretty accurately. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, so I'm going to back you up a little bit when yeah. we get into this this questioning. But yeah, that I think that that really showcases you had a lot coming at you all at once, and you're just trying to navigate it. And if that is not the essence of thirty forty surviving, I don't know what is. So <laughs> I am very excited to break this all down. So I want to start with um, talking more about your career in media and journalism and broadcast. Um, We have had one other guest on the show in the past who has been in that same field. And I was really, I don't want to say interested, but like I was very intrigued to, to hear, I guess, her take and perspective on her experience in the industry. And so I would love to know now that we have someone else who can give us their point of view as well. What was your highs? What were the highs and lows? What did you like? What did you not like? How do you feel looking back on it? Um, is that a loaded <laughs> question? It, it is in a way. I think what I, I loved to my core, the storytelling aspect of it, that is what got me into it. And I think a lot of people think that people get into journalism. Well, I mean, they want the fame or they want the money and they want the TV and the glitz and the glamour. Let me tell you, you're not making a lot of money in this industry. You're in it because you want to share stories and because you're passionate about it and you believe in documenting history. Um, That was what I loved about it the most. That was my passion. That was my every day. What I struggled with, I think, the most was the balance of trying to be a mother when you really have to put, if you're going to be a journalist, you have to put every ounce of what you do into your work. It is, you know, your sleep, you're spending time looking for stories, you're out in the field, sometimes a story would run late, sometimes there's breaking news, you're about to leave, and you need to remain on scene. Um, That can be really tough when you know that you have a little one waiting at home, or you know you're not going to, you know, when it's consistently you're getting four to five hours of sleep at night, you know, you choose it. You have to really love that field, and you have to really be willing to make sacrifices to be in it. Um, So the highs, the storytelling, the lows were kind of... The, the lifestyle that accompanied yeah, it. Yeah, how it's like all consuming. It is, yeah. That makes sense. And that then must put you in a hard position. You know, you can't prioritize this career and dream that you love over 
your family and your kids, but like, why do we have to choose? And it, it sort of puts you in a hard spot. So I can understand how that'd be difficult, but it's interesting. Um, the, it was Jackie Bruno who we had on, and she had I mentioned. Yes, you did. <laughs> I okay, loved it. That was okay. what drew me to you. you. I was like, what is this podcast? I saw it on her profile, and I was like, I love this. I need to talk to her. Thanks, Jackie. <laughs> um, but yeah, she's she had said the same thing. It was um, the storytelling was really what compelled her and drew her to it because there is something I think so special about being able to bring people's stories to life and to the public and share them and find that common ground. And I think that's where we all sort of start to like come together in those moments when you're like, wait, okay, that person's not so far off or so different than I am, right? We're we're all a lot more alike than we think. And also just maybe it's that positivity boost you needed, right? Or that inspiration you needed. So the storytelling is is huge. Um, so you, I was, I was going to see if maybe you were going to give me something different, but yeah. And I understand. I'm curious too. She said, um, I believe like it just it kind of got grim at one point too. It gets hard because you sort of don't have full control over which stories you get to tell. Did you feel like you had that same experience? So I I did, and that's or part am I of putting you in a bad spot to say no, something no, no, negative no. about somebody? <laughs> no, no, no. You're a hundred percent right. Like that, it, it did get grim, and I think that before kids. I was here for that. Yeah, I was ready to chase all the breaking news and chase the stories because I guess it the value, I don't know how to even say this, but it it's easier to cover hard news before you have children because mm-hmm. once you have a child, you recognize so much stronger just how fragile that human life is and how much work goes into creating it. And the stories hit different and you you think about your own children and how you're going to protect them from all these things because it's no longer just, well, I'm physically safe in this situation. I don't have to worry about it. It's oh my gosh, what if my kid winds up in this situation? Yeah. You, you think differently, you know? Um, so that I think was one of the things that made it difficult was no, you couldn't really choose your stories and you were with it. And to be honest, I handled it really well before kids. After having my son, it was it changed my mind frame totally. And I just realized there was a lot of negativity out there. Mm-hmm. And for me, I wanted to put a little bit of positivity into the world, which is where I started kind of pitching like charity events and different things because I thought to myself, well, you know, there's a reason why all these charities are founded. There's a story behind them. Something had to happen to someone that was really impactful. And if you look, there's a community rallying around them. That's newsworthy to me. Mm -hmm. But when you're in a newsroom, if it bleeds, it leads. That's the way it goes. It's always, you know, and, and there, I think there are a lot of different media outlets to give them credit that are opening up to cover more positive news because I think they see that people Mm. need that. Um, But for for me, I really saw this vision of, okay, what if there was someone who was out here just covering charity events? Yeah. And so that's kind of another piece to the puzzle (laughs) to to what got me here. Yes. Okay. We're going to get there, but (laughs) hold your horses because I also want to talk about the time in your life when you initially found out that you were pregnant, you and your husband both, if I'm not mistaken, had gotten the news that you were let go from your positions. It had just been the, sort of the beginning or the, you know, soon into COVID. You were both laid off. And then a week later, 
found out you were pregnant. Do I have that correct? Yes. This was literally the craziest thing. So we had been trying to get pregnant since we got married in September. It wasn't working. We didn't know why, you know, we were starting to go down the route of, you know, talking to fertility specialists, Mm -hmm. trying to figure out what was happening. And then, you know, we said, okay, we're going to take a year off. We're going to move, you know, closer to the city and we're going to try to get pregnant. So then COVID hits. We moved in March 1st of 2020 to Quincy. Oh my gosh. (laughs) There was that. Um, And then, you know, my job, you know, started kind of going back and forth with COVID and what they were going to do, what they weren't going to do. So I lost my job in June. My husband and I, um, we lost our jobs just like a couple weeks apart. And apparently in that time being home, some magic must have worked for us. <laughs> because you guys are not the only ones, right? We saw a human. It was like the baby boom all over again. <laughs> and yeah, so several weeks later, we're like, okay, we just lost our jobs. We're going to figure it out. We're going to get back to work. We're going to find what works. You know, we'll, we'll figure something out. Um, and then boom, I found out I was pregnant and I was like, okay, well, what do we do now? Um, because now we don't have a lot of income coming in. We couldn't really keep the place that we were in at the time. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, you're pregnant. You don't know where you're living. There's this crazy COVID going around. And at the time, OBGYNs were saying, look, we don't know what this could have for an impact on you or your child. Yeah. So figure that out while you're trying to figure out where you're going to live and where you're going to work. I forgot about that, but I remember a a friend of mine was also pregnant or newly pregnant when COVID was still new and it was very scary because they, they were like, if, if you were to get this disease, this sickness, COVID, this flu, right? Like we don't know if that could have any harm in the baby or couldn't that it's a question mark. And I can't even that alone would be enough to probably make me spiral um, and want to stay indoors at all times and not leave, not do anything. But then you also have to pay the bills and support the family. So what what was going through your head at that time? Honestly, every day was a lot of anxiety. Yeah. It was from the moment I opened my eyes until the moment that I closed them. It was, it was, terrifying. And I think one of the hardest parts was that, you know, being the first one of my friend group to be pregnant, nobody Mm. understood. And everyone was kind of like, you know, let's just go out. Let's just do things. Let's keep it normal. They couldn't understand what was wrong with me. And quite frankly, neither could I, Mm. because I didn't even recognize. Um, So it was just fear over everything. It was just what I didn't realize at the time was what's called perinatal anxiety and depression. I didn't know that was a thing. How could I know I had it? Yeah. Um, it, But it was definitely most days it was you wake up and there are a lot of tears. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of worry. And then there's the question of can I even work? Mm. Because if I go back into a field where I'm going to be in front of the camera all day, can I physically be in person? Yeah. How can do- I hold it together? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I've never we we're going to get into this in a minute too, but like we hear a lot about postpartum depression, but like I've never even heard of perinatal. So that's, it's great that we're talking about it and it's good to know because that so easily I think could be chalked up to, well, of course you're stressed. Of course your anxiety, you have, you know, anxiety because look at everything that's going on, but 
you, they like you were able to get someone to take a deeper dive and a deeper look and you really learned, okay, maybe there is something bigger going on here too, um, which I imagine would give you at least some sort of peace and comfort, even if it's unfamiliar, even if you don't know too much about it, at least it's like, okay, there's a name for this or there's some sort of explanation for this and you don't feel like you have to guilt yourself into like, why can't I just calm down, right? And think clearly, because I'm sure you were, you were putting your in that position oftentimes like guilting yourself into get it together Emma get it together Emma you know I think what I went into was almost just like a defensive mama bear mode yeah I was on this path that like no I'm right I know I'm right I know my moral compass is spot on and if I look back now honestly I don't even think I would have done anything different because what I would have done the only thing I would have done differently is probably get help sooner um other than that, all the actions that I took to protect my family at that time, to keep safe at that time, I did, generally, like, we didn't have the answers. It's not, I just look back at that time and I'm like, wow, that was, that was wild. Like, <laughs> that was, I, I so does it feel like a dream? Like, it all was a blur? It feels a lot like it was just like a nightmare, but the mm. thing is, well, yeah, I shouldn't say dream. It makes it sound <laughs> just like, no, 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 but yeah, you're spot on though. a distant memory. You're spot on. Like it doesn't feel real mm-hmm. when I think about it, but then I look at how much has changed since that time. And I'm like, wow, I went through all of that for a reason. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's clear now, but at the time it was very fuzzy. It was very dark. And I just remember a lot of people being kind of upset because they were like, well, you know, you never talk to us, you never call us, you never listen to us, it's never this, it's never that. And I I remember thinking back now, like at the time I was so defensive that I was doing my best because I couldn't sleep unless I thought I was. Mm. And now that I look back and I realize, I'm like, yeah, you know what? You're right, I couldn't help take care of you. I couldn't even take care of myself. But you shouldn't have to feel responsible for other people, those are moments in your life that you clearly need to prioritize yourself. And we'll also maybe peel (laughs) those layers back a little bit, but I wanna focus on the unemployment piece a little bit too. Obviously, it might be hard to pinpoint exactly um, just the the feelings and what you're going through from that part alone, since everything really is all in compilation with one another. But it's it's no secret. It's, it's a very major thing happening for a lot of people right now, right? It, it's top of mind. It is seemingly unavoidable and it doesn't seem like it's coming to an end anytime soon. And I imagine that there is someone listening who either was recently laid off, is worried about being laid off. And I, I, I'm i not going to sit here and pretend like any sort of advice or something someone tells you is going to allow you to be free of panic. I, I think that like that is a very normal reaction to instantly feel a little bit worried. So and I think like that's OK to do. It's, it's human. Um, but I'm just curious now that you can look back on that time and sort of how you got out of it. Would you offer any sort of advice to anyone who finds themselves in that situation or is in fear of being in that situation to just help them perhaps not get bogged down by it and help continue to move forward? Yeah. um, The first thing I'm going to say is this is a mantra that actually comes from our pastor and it's breathe in love, 
exhale fear. And I use that because I know at the time I was so worked up and so afraid that it just wasn't helping anything. I think, you know, first of all, like believe in yourself, know your worth. And as long as you have that, you're going to be okay. Things might happen, doors might close. And I remember I was so sure that I was going back to journalism. I was so incredibly sure and I just could not be wavered. And it literally broke me when those doors didn't open because I was so positive that they were going to. But what wound up happening for me, the path wasn't what I wanted, it was what I needed. Mm -hmm. And that path led me again to where I am today. But I think it's just to have that peace and knowledge that what you're meant for is seeking you. So just know that, you know, wherever you are right now, if you're afraid you're going to lose your job, if you're currently job seeking, just know that you're exactly where you're supposed to be and the right thing is going to come. But don't, if you have something in your heart that you're like, this is what I'm supposed to do, don't give up on it. Just, just stick with the path that you're on. I love that so much. That's great advice. I, I'm a huge believer that I feel like anxiety can sometimes be a blessing and a curse. Sometimes anxiety gives you just enough of that little bit of nervousness to think something through, right? Or maybe really like make sure you're going to plan out your your course of action or the words you use. But sometimes it can just be like wearing a potato sack on your head. Like you're just it just blinds everything. Like there's no rhyme or reason to what you're doing because it just becomes overpowering and overwhelming. Um, so I, I think that like trying as best as possible to like breathe in that calmness like you're saying and just breathing in love and feeling at peace and not letting it overtake you is step number one but also I really don't think that there's anything that's coincidence either I think that things happen by design and they're purposeful and in those moments that anxiety if it overpowers us we get so tunneled vision on one thing right like I lost my job I need to get that job somewhere else right we're just like what's the soonest thing I can find and I feel like those are moments that of self-reflection that we don't take advantage of enough and zooming out a little bit like what are my other talents what's something I've always wanted to do the stories that I've heard from some of the women in that chair on this show like that were all impacted by by COVID whether it was something that they wanted to pursue and they couldn't get off the ground or they got laid off right or something wasn't making them enough income and so they just threw out that handbook and wrote a new one and like it's I think encouraging yourself to kind of like think outside the box too what's something that you've always wanted to do that you haven't. And it doesn't have to be that dream job right away. Maybe you're doing a little bit of this here and a little bit of that, you know? I think that's great advice. I think that's awesome. But I agree with you completely. If you don't channel that inner tranquility, it's gonna take a lot longer to get there. Yeah, yeah, well. <laughs> um, okay, my next question for you then is, also, too, just thinking about the dynamic between you and your husband during this time as well. Um, I have, again, similar to all these things, right? Like some people have also been in the same position career-wise. Some people have struggled financially or had to move or something. But also we've seen couples be, it can be make or break during COVID too. And so when you have all these things going on, 
did you feel like you ever had to have that moment with him where you guys really sat down and had that come to Jesus moment? Like we got to get on the same page here. Was there anything that really helped make a difference or something maybe even prior that you had set in the foundation of your relationship that got you through that time period? Ooh, uh, <laughs> that, I'm like, let me in on your marriage. I want to know what's happening <laughs> behind the four walls of your house. Tell me everything. No, it's totally Don't fine. Any details back. Come on in. Um, I don't know if I can swear on here. Yes, you can. Welcome to the shit show. <laughs> Perfect. Um, it's, there's no such thing as a perfect marriage. Of course not. And when we were going through this, right, at first there was a lot of strength that brought us together when it was like, okay, we're pregnant. It's COVID. Yeah. We're going to figure it out. I trust you. I believe in you. I love you, honey. And then when it got to the point that, you know, my, my son was born, what we weren't prepared for were like the freaking wrecking balls of postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, societal expectations, C-section recovery, not reeling out has a destroyed pelvic floor, not being able to get back to work, finances, still looking for a place to live after he was born and living with my parents trying to figure that out. I was like, whoa, that was a lot of weight. That being said, my postpartum depression and anxiety directly impacted him. And what I also didn't realize was that while I was spiraling, I don't, it, he has not been diagnosed for this, so I can't say this for sure, but all of the symptoms have matched with what a maternal health um, therapist told me specifically, that men can develop postpartum depression. What? Yeah, that's a thing. Men can get it too. Usually arrives about six months after the baby is born, according to her. Uh, this is Dr. Jane Johnson Wall, in case you're wondering who she's I'm talking like, about. <laughs> and she's like, you cannot tell me that I'm wrong or crazy. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring my, um, my. I'm backing this up. Yeah, what is it? My citations. <laughs> yes, I'm citing my sources. Here. Yes. Um, she, it blew my mind, and it makes sense because if you think about it, those first six months, you're facing sleep deprivation, which is literally a military form of torture. You're facing, you know, children crying like all of the time, which is torturous, right? It, it hurts your heart and soul because all you want to do is heal yeah. and love your baby. But then you're trying to do all these societal expectations. So basically that takes a toll and men can too develop postpartum depression. So we went through a really difficult time where like we found a place to live. We both got jobs. We thought we were healing, but depression was still living with us. And that impacted our marriage to a point where I cannot tell you how many conversations we had about divorce. I can't tell you how many because we weren't able to fix ourselves in the position that we were in and we were trying. And I think that the, the issue really was for us that we didn't know we had so many problems. We didn't know what to fix first. Yeah. And it's like the triaging process of what do we need to assess and address Number one, first and foremost, and then what can we delay and figure out as time goes on? Yeah, that's hard. That's so, really hard because you're also learning too, right? You're learning mm. to raise a newborn. You're learning about a new career. You're trying to learn who you are as parents, and you're trying to pick the place that you say, "My child is from here. Our family is from here." Yeah, like you're trying to create a whole life and home for your family, and then you have so many outside opinions. Like my parents have one opinion, his parents have one opinion, he had one opinion, I have one opinion, our pediatrician had one opinion, like the nanny has one opinion, and then we got into daycare and they had an opinion. And that can be really tough, not to mention splitting household tasks. 
And you can carry a lot of resentment when you feel like one person is taking on more weight than the other. And it just, it never, for us, it never felt even because my job was not consistent. Mm. It didn't feel even because we weren't able to really heal our own inner depression and anxiety because we were like trying to solve so many other things. Um, so for us, it's taken a lot of work and I'll tell you like openly now, like I am still in therapy and I'm feeling a lot, like a whole different person than what I was. Good. I'm so happy to hear but that. Like, but I still go. And I yeah. honestly think more people should like, we are still attending, like we're starting up again, like couples therapy, just because we want to have open communication. Mm-hmm. We've come a long way. But the thing I think, I think people have the stigma about couples therapy when quite honestly, it's helped us in so many ways. That's like, amazing. It it really, it really is. Do you think the biggest part is really just having that neutral party to be able to mediate? Or what is, is it just offering a third perspective in general? Like what is the best thing that's really made the impact from couples therapy? The honest to God answer is, and you can do this even without a therapist. We've done it without a therapist for a while too. The key is wanting to learn about your partner mm. and not assuming you know them so wholeheartedly. I changed after you know we had our son. I am not the same girl that he met that banged on his door in a snowstorm in a bikini trying to steal his <laughs> wine. Like well, that was damn. how that was how we met. Hot damn! Um, and I, I'm not that same girl. He's not that same guy. Right. That was working as a cellarman in a brewery at the time. Like he, we're not the same people. We have grown, changed, and evolved, and you need to leave room to continue to learn that person. Like even today, I'll be like, hmm, like, okay, I'm seeing that consistently there's this one habit he has lately that I don't understand. Get to know that. And, mm. you know, he knows me at this point. I need coffee to wake up. Don't even have conversations. We're not, we're not doing this. We learned that. No, like, you know that about me now. And I know about him, mm-hmm. you know, just certain things that we've learned. But the key is to understand that like, we're still growing. Yeah. You're always growing. So you have to always be open to learning. I, that is going to stick with me, girlfriend. That is such a good answer. And I am so happy that you shared that because it is so true. I think that sometimes when we have someone, even friendships, right? Like, but our romantic partners and our, and our friends, families, when someone all of a sudden does something a little different, right? Or they're not maybe acting like themselves. We either immediately take it personally or we are a little bit judgmental, maybe a little bit like- I was a lot for a while. Right? Like a free- Why do you do this this way? Why do you hate me? This is personal. Why don't you love me enough to pick up your socks? Like, (laughs) why? Exactly. (laughs) And it's just like, I think it's just one of those those things that's kind of hard and we- if we took that moment to pause and explore it a little bit more and understand it, then try to fix it. I feel like right away we we move to like, well, you're doing this now and you didn't used to do that, so you have to stop or vice versa, right? Like, well, why don't we dig in and figure out what's causing this behavior? And maybe it's not a bad thing. Maybe it's a good thing, you know? And I think leaving that little room to be able to grow because listen, you're not getting married at 80 years old. Maybe you are, and that's wonderful and good for you. But like, there's a lot of change and life to come. So assuming that that person is going to stay exactly the same as when you met them isn't realistic. 
It's not. And when you have kids, you find out like, oh, he wants to raise our child this way. I expected it to be this way. You have different expectations for parenting. And when you get married, it's easy to be on the same page Mm -hmm. because you're like, oh, we both like this. We both like this. We both do this. But if he's like, my child absolutely can do this thing. And I'm like, that is not safe. (laughs) We're going to have a problem. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Then it's like you clash. And so you have to learn, okay, you as a parent believe this. What's the core value? What makes sense to you? How can we meet in the middle? What makes sense for us? How are we going to stand together as a family unit and also defend our choices as a core unit to all the other outside opinions I mentioned before? Mm-hmm. So it's it's constantly being willing to have conversations and grow, even about the stupid stuff. Um, like we took our kid to the zoo. He had these white sneakers on that Jake's like, I'm going to put him in white sneakers. And I was like, okay <laughs> go honey he's like well, he's, he's yeah. gonna grow and we gotta do it show out and i'm like sure sure lots of mud exhibits at the zoo right now if anyone's looking to go lots of mud so <laughs> you know choose your battles <laughs> live in your lord no one's gonna get hurt it's right. gonna be just some dirty sneakers we'll, we'll be able to move on past it but right. I, I just i'm so glad that i was so nosy to ask about your marriage because i am thrilled we were able to talk about that that was awesome and so helpful and I think people are just so afraid of it like oh great now you know if me and my partner are at odds we're not seeing eye to eye now what them and this person I don't know are just going to team up on me I feel like people are so afraid of getting um called out or disagreed with or you know whatever it is right and I think that's what they think of when they go into therapy and that's why a lot of people are against it or just I don't need anybody to tell me how I feel or what I should do I'm my own person so it offers a unique perspective that a lot of people don't think of, um, which hopefully would encourage people to be more open-minded about it. That's awesome. You have to want to learn. You do. You have to never, never stop. Never stop. But I also just going into the postpartum depression a little bit more too. Um, we have talked about it on the show. It is so important, especially when our audience is majority women, um, to, create, you know, more awareness, have more conversations about it. Um, it is really close to my heart and I want to just be, let people know, like there, there's others who have been in the same shoes as you. There's resources out there for help and it's okay. Um, but I think that I'm most curious to hear about if you can think of them like specifically, what were some of the symptoms that you experienced in postpartum depression? Because I think that instantly we just say, okay, depression. So you're like, you know, I'm sad or I'm tired, but is there anything in particular that you can think of? Maybe there was a certain situation that sums it up well. Um, and the reason why I'm asking this is because I I know that it's not something that goes away overnight and it kind of sticks with you. And, I, and, and from stories that I've heard, there can be situations where the lines start to blur. So for example, when your kid is being fresh and throwing his food on the floor or he, you told him like, don't hit the dog or whatever, right? Like, or whatever. And he looks at you and he just, just goes. Yeah, and they do it anyway, right? <laughs> like little things like that. Or like, and you, you, they drive you crazy. That is so valid and totally normal to be frustrated. Like kids are not, they need to be raised. That's why you're there. Like they don't know everything right away. Right. But I think that sometimes, um, if you've experienced the postpartum depression, I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth, but these are just things that I've heard. So I want to know what you think, but like, um, it's kind of like, would I be so annoyed at him and frustrated at him or her if, 
it wasn't for a postpartum depression? Like, is this happening because of me? Or is this a normal? And there, you don't know. Is this a me problem? Is this normal behavior? And so kind of figuring out if that, if you had similar experiences, but then also like, what does it really look like in the thick of it? And how that might differentiate from just having a bad day, you know, or something not going your way, which is all entirely normal. Ooh, so I can tell you, I asked myself that exact question a lot. Like, is this me or is this him? Mm-hmm. And it, it was hard. Um, what it looks like in the thick of it, if I put myself back in those days, it it looks like waking up in the morning, going to pump and just sobbing. Mm. That's what it looks like. It looks like being on your couch before the world's eyes are open, having anxiety that your kid's gonna wake up before you pump and then not being able to fill that bottle because you're, you have such anxiety that you're not producing enough because you're so anxious that your kid's gonna wake up before you pump the bottle and it's a cycle. It looks like crying on the floor because you have been locked into a house in COVID and you won't let yourself out because you're too afraid you're gonna hurt your child. It looks like, you know, the dog tracking in mud on the carpet and you're down on your hands and knees, not fully healed from a surgery, trying to scrub it out with anything you have because that one white carpet that you have, you're fixated on saving it because it's the one thing that clung to who you used to be and you're changing so much that you don't know who you are. It's being desperate to go out with friends, but then every time you go out with them, you're just sobbing and crying because you're so happy to have someone to see that understands you. It's wanting so bad to just sit down and hold your baby and just love that baby, but being so overwhelmed by all the other tasks around you and feeling like you have to be the perfect mom and get it all done that you literally are paralyzed and can't do anything without help, but you're too afraid to ask for help because you don't want to look like a mom that doesn't have it together. That's what it looks like. Um, It looks like flipping out over seemingly small things because those are the only things that you can control because that's all you have that is stable at a time where everything is changing and other factors really make a big difference. Like if you have an issue with housing, if you have an, a major issue of a major loss, if you have an issue with finances, all of those can contribute to, I mean, there was a good year where I had really happy moments holding my son and going out with my son and doing things with my son and his little smile made my day. He was the reason that I was able to keep going. But I can tell you for a solid year straight, there wasn't a day that I woke up and didn't cry or had a mental breakdown and cried by two or three in the afternoon. And that was an entire year that I just didn't even know who I was. Um, And I guess the thing that I wish the most is that society would change their expectations of mothers so that, and normalize asking for help when you have something like this. So that, you know, that first year, everything... I wish my son would know everything about him. You know, I was so happy to have him. He made things brighter, but the world at the time was so dark that it was really hard to see at all. And I think that there are a lot of moms that will describe postpartum depression and anxiety as the dark cloud. And they remember when the cloud lifted. I remember when my cloud lifted. I remember the day. I remember. Was it one thing that happened or was it just unexplicable? Like you woke up one day and, and you just felt lighter. Was, was there, what was the turning point itself? I had to rebuild my faith in myself. I had to rebuild my confidence in my husband, in myself, in my family. 
my confidence was lost by the fact that I couldn't get a job, that I had lost some friends, that I had lost our housing, that I felt like I was losing as a mother because everyone was telling me a different thing and I didn't know what the right thing was. And finally, you know, through therapy, I was able to get to a point where I found bright lights to hang on to enough that I rebuilt my confidence back to say no. And eventually I just learned to shut out the noise and say, you know, no, this quote I've clung to is be who you are, not who the world wants you to be. And being able to get out and cling to that quote really was what started to bring me back. Um, We wound up, I got a fantastic job that was, you know, in a different field. I, we moved to a new location. We started new habits with our family and started a fresh life with all the resources that we needed. Um, That was when I really started to heal. Um, But that was just the start. (laughs) Right. It's, it's never, it's never something that is just going to be erased from your reality, right? It's a part of your story. It's part of who you are. And there's, it's, it's not something that I think that you would just pretend didn't happen, right? Like it's something that is going to be very real and very present for you. And I I appreciate you acknowledging that too, because it's not, it's sort of, and I hope this doesn't sound insensitive, but it's sort of like when you have an addiction, like it's not like, oh, well, I was an alcoholic or I am, it's, I am like it, it, it's, that's a part of who you are and that is going to be continued on. Like you, you had it. Yes. It's in the past. You've seen that hump. You've gotten over that, but it's still something that you're, you're never going to forget and not going to be aware of and something that you will be mindful of. And also the tools that you learned during that time in your life can be applicable to, God forbid, any other hard times, right? Any other things that are going on. So it's, I think, honoring it in a way instead of trying to just push it down and act like it's six feet under. You know what I mean? I do exactly. And I get loud about it now because (laughs) I don't want any mom to feel like they're alone. Yeah. It's, it would be naive of me to think I'm the only one that's ever experienced something like this. And it was so hard for just me, like, no. There are millions of women that are living with postpartum depression, anxiety, perinatal, men that are dealing with postpartum. Like, there's a lot of people dealing with this because of, you know, societal pressures. I guess if I had to pick one thing, like societal pressures and, and, you know, just daily life being stressful in Mm -hmm. 2023 for certain, for, you know, different factors. Um, It's out there and it exists. And I think that it would be, Personally, I think that it would be selfish of me to keep my mouth shut and pretend like it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. I think I owe it to, you know, not only myself to, to speak up to, you know, be proud of how far I've come, but also I think I owe it to everybody else that's str- struggling with it to just say, hey, like, you're not crazy. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, of course, I can appreciate and acknowledge that people may be fearful of being triggered and kind of sent back. And so it's sort of out of sight, out of mind. And I, I do understand that, but I'm, I'm in the same understanding as you, as you know, I think it's almost irresponsible in a way, just because there it's, it's almost like that shame that you're talking about that we hold as women in general, and then especially women as mothers. And so 
it's so almost second nature to just be like, okay, I'm gonna wipe my hands of it and, and move on. But then that's exactly what's happening. That's perpetuating perpetuating the cycle of women being afraid to speak up, being uneducated on the topic because they didn't know that their friends, family members also went through it too because it's not being talked about enough. So I think like the best thing you could do for yourself is acknowledge it, but also for other people acknowledge it. I think that it will just be, it will bring positive outcomes tenfold if you continue it forward with you. So that's why I'm doing the documentary. (laughs) Yes, so let's talk about this documentary. So you are now taking your experience in journalism and you are applying it to a personal special project of your own. I would love for you to explain to them what your documentary is all about. So this is a deep dive into the reality of motherhood in 2023, which is a crazy picture. (laughs) It's insane. Um, If you look at the moms that have given birth through COVID and, you know, even post-COVID, we faced a lot just in general as a nation. We're facing, you know, a formula shortage, crazy, crazy childcare costs that are just astronomical. I mean, literally, it was a quarter of my husband and my combined salary. Oh, yeah. Like every month. It was a quarter of it. We were like, what? (laughs) And hiring, you know, a nanny or a babysitter wasn't that much cheaper. And I mean, to be fair, they're doing hard work. They deserve to be paid. But the the ratio of what we're making versus the cost, just quite frankly, like is not there for for most people. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that between those two things, just alone getting started, that's a barrier already. And then you add in on top of it, the fact that you know, when you give birth, your body goes through physical changes and somehow it's 2023 and we don't have pelvic floor PT as something that is like normalized as a standard of care. I didn't know I needed it for six months. So part of why I was so angry and depressed was because I was in physical pain. I didn't know I needed PT. I didn't even know what it was. I was like, how pelvic floor Pelvic floor PT. What, I need to introduce you to Donna. We have Donna on and um, Alyssa. Actually, we've had two girls. We've kind of talked about this a little bit. If you yes. don't know them, I need to connect you because I had no idea it was a thing either until they came here and told me about it. And I I love when this happens when my guests either know each other or it's like, wait a second, you're also advocating and educating people about the same thing that I just learned about from somebody else. Like It's just really cool and really special. So I love Love to hear that Um, because, again, the more we talk about it, the more awareness there is and the more people can take advantage of those types of resources and and um, help support, you know. So um, what 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 did that look like for you? Did it for six months? Yeah. So it was for six months. And I remember right after I gave birth. So um, I had this whole birth plan, right? Beautiful birth plan. It was gorgeous. I planned it to a T. Of course. Uh, Virgo. Classic. Yes. And of course, you know, there wound up being some It didn't work out as planned? No. Shocking. No, I know. I know. It wound up being a C-section and I was terrified because I'm afraid of surgery. So I was terrified of it. Um, and there were some complications with birth, but, you know, we're both healthy. Um, and I think that, you know, during, during that time where I, I had gestational diabetes, you know, during the birth, uh, there had been a point where they put my IV in wrong. And so I started crashing. They had to give me an emergency IV. It was very scary. Um, I think going through all of that, I didn't realize what my body had gone through. So for six months, there was mm-hmm. a lot of pain. There was a lot of anger. And I think that once I finally figured out 
what I needed and started going down that path of pelvic floor PT, I started being happier. I felt better. I looked better. Like I had that confidence come back um, because I didn't realize just how much was physically not right. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. That see, if you didn't get the memo from the previous episodes, you're hearing it again. You guys should look into it. So, okay, now I totally went off track here. I went on but a tangent. No, <laughs> I did. I got all excited about this pelvic PT. So, um, you were talking about giving you know them more education on resources and things they can do, yes. but then continued describing the documentary. Yeah. So it's basically it's all encompassing. So I've spoken to mothers that have experienced, you know the surgical issues, but they've also experienced infertility. They've also experienced loss. They've also experienced um, just unimaginable situations to give birth in. Um, They've experienced issues with boundaries with family members. They've experienced issues with, you know, work and being able to juggle being, you know, work, basically working like you have no child and parenting like you have no job, like you're trying just to be in the middle of that. I'm talking to paint a full picture of what motherhood is. So I've spoken with pelvic floor physical therapists. I've spoken with maternal health therapists. I've spoken to employers that are changing the landscape of their environment to accommodate working mothers. I'm talking to, you know, different people that have put, like, for example, if you go to Fenway Park, there's like a mother's station so people can go in and just breastfeed and not have to worry about it. Um, There are so many different ways that, mothers are impacted in 2023. So this is a full picture. It's not just, you know, one piece or the other. It's trying to, you know, put it all together. Um, I had a family member recently, a very, very close family friend. God, I love him. Um, He sat down and he goes, so Miss Emmalyn, I need to ask you, what is so hard about being a mom what is so hard about, you know, in this generation, what's so difficult about it? And he was, he asked, I'll let you finish before I say my thoughts. No, he, he was genuine. Oh, okay. He was, I, cause at first when, when he said like, it, I had this look on my face and I was just like, sorry, are we going to do this? I was I'm, like, my, the blood was <laughs> boiling. That was, I was like, is he being facetious? Because I am about to find his home address. When it came out, I was like, Breathe yeah. deep, breathe deep. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he'll love, exhale, fear. <laughs> like, yes, exactly. Do not fight someone today. But, but when he first asked, I was just like, oh my gosh, my gosh, like my anxiety started going up because I was like, what is so hard? And I was like, Phew. but he- Let was, me tell you what's so hard. Right, and, and the funny thing was, I got ready to answer and then I realized I didn't have one. I didn't have one concrete answer. Well, it's not. Because it's not one thing. And I thought about it and I paused for a second when he asked me and-, and and once I got over the initial like fear and shock of is this genuine, I looked at his eyes and he was genuinely being kind and asking this question. He was like, I don't understand. And my daughter just gave birth. I don't understand. Tell me what is so hard. And I was like, well, you know, I thought about it for a minute. And the answer that makes the most sense to say is societal expectations, right? If you think about it after you give birth, you get one six week checkup. You know how many checkups I had when I had my pancreatic tumor removed? Do you like do you know how many imagine. like checkups you have when you have other surgery? Like one. Right. One postpartum checkup to be like, are you okay? And one little checklist that says, 
are you sad? Do you want to kill yourself? Do you want to kill your baby? Know that you must be fine. No. It's no. So like there's not enough care. So I've gone to the mm-hmm. state house to advocate for, you know, additional maternal health. We want to have more than one postpartum visit. We want one mandatory maternal mental health visit to really actually do a check-in more than a checklist at a doctor. Um, We want to have pelvic floor PT be mandatory. So these are the things that I'm fighting for. And when he asked me that question, I thought about all those things. And after I was able to say, you know, it's, it's society expecting women to get up and bounce back like nothing happened and to do this seamlessly and effortlessly when, mind you, there's a grace period when you get a new job. This is a new job, raising a human. Yeah. Like it is the hardest job in the world. And I, it's funny when I thought about, you know, what I wanted to do being a journalist and a mom, I was always like, I want to work full time. And, and I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be a stay at home mom. It would bore me. (laughs) (laughs) But were you wrong? Let me tell you, (laughs) I now stay home with my son during the day and run my business at the same time. Yeah. My days are busy, but I've never been happier. Good. It's the challenge I didn't know, like, mm-hmm. was a perfect balance. Um, I, I laugh at my younger self, though, being like, it would be so boring. It would be so boring. Like, ma'am. Not at all. Not <laughs> younger at all. me is getting a good laugh. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but it's so, I think um, the way that what you actually, what you said sort of made this analogy in my head, because I think it's so true. Like, you have the six-week appointment, and that's it, right? But then once the babies here, they're doing what? Six week appointments, one month, all the way to six months, one year. Like they're, they, it, it sort of is that transition from the mom and now the baby becoming the priority. And I think that like, not that of course the baby shouldn't be. I'm not saying that like we shouldn't be making sure the baby's not, is healthy, but it is, it's like, if that doesn't sum up sort of this, we, instantly as mothers sacrifice our priorities, our needs to put the baby first. And you lose, I think that there's like little pieces of you, not that it's like new amazing pieces don't come in and fill the gaps, but there are pieces of you that go away or don't get less attention. And so it's also this sense of just not feeling whole and not feeling like the you that you know and that you recognize. And then you have these moms that just all of a sudden look like they never had a baby after one month and you feel the pressure of this and of that. And then also here we are women with, we want our jobs, we want equal pay, we want this. And then okay, well, do I sound like I'm contradicting myself if I show any sort of side of weakness? So I'm just supposed to keep pushing. And and that is just unbearable. Literally all of that is the reality of motherhood in 2023. <laughs> it's unbearable. It's, it is. It, I, I struggled with like all of that. And I, I look at these moms that I talk to now and it's, it's just, it's unthinkable because the shame and guilt that a mom feels when she's late to work but she's supposed to be raising literally the next generation. Mm-hmm. Yet she's rushing off to drop that screaming child off somewhere who really and truly needs her to go to work. And maybe that's her dream is to have this career, but could you imagine a world where that mom could sit and soothe that tantrum with all the patience and time in the world to get that baby prepared, know they're safe and loved when they go into that building and then go to work and be like, hey, I've handled my business now. Let me just like do an amazing job. But instead, I think a lot of people walk around with that anxiety of, 
no, you can't make mommy late because mommy can't use her job because then she won't be able to afford the bills and then she won't. Can like can we just try to be understanding? Like these are the people that are raising the next generation that very well may work at your company. Mm-hmm. Can you just give them some grace? And you know, I I'm lucky. I have had some fantastic employers since I've given birth. I have also had employers with super high expectations <laughs> where I literally just like was not sleeping, um, and. And you just think about it. And I, when I talk to these moms, I'm just like, yeah, guys, I think we need to band together. This is bullshit. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> yeah, it is. So the, the documentary is following along in this process. And I mean, if these accommodations that you're working towards, hopefully being able to have, you know, put into execution and implementation, that could make major changes to help move towards hopefully that dynamic that we're looking for, that that balance of I, I just a little bit of grace, a little bit of understanding and leniency. And it's, it's hard right now. But um, when will you expect, hopefully, to have everything finalized? And when will people be able to see it where and where? So we are in production right now. Um, this should be wrapped, I would imagine, by fall of 2023. I'm hitting my cutoff date for filming um, as October, so I'm trying to get as many injuries in there. Um, this should be ready to air in January of 2024. So basically late 23, early 2024. Um, it is something that it's myself um, and that I have. Um, Lindsey Crane is a videographer working with me as well as Eric Snyder. So I have this small little team that I just love so much. They're amazing. Um, and we're putting this together and I'll be editing it. Uh, once it's finished, it will be going on uh, YouTube. So it'll be going on my YouTube channel. Um, from there, we will be sending it to basically as many film festivals as possible. Uh, the point really is to give people a full picture of the reality of motherhood and really advocate strongly for that change. Um, there is genuinely no reason I can think of why we can't have at least another pelvic floor PT visit, one visit that's covered completely with a maternal mental health therapist and have at least one, if not two more postpartum visits. I remember part of the reason I'm advocating is because right after I gave birth, I felt pain Mm -hmm. and I reached out and they said, well, we just did your surgery. We're not the right doctor. And I reached out to my OBG and they said, well, we didn't do the surgery. I'm not the right doctor. And so you're like, well, who do I go to? So I'm messaging and I'm speaking up and I'm trying it and they're like, well, take a little bit more Advil if you feel pain. This is normal. This is normal. My mom that had several C-sections was like, Emma, I don't know why you're not bouncing back. I don't know what's wrong. Like you just need to suck it up and like go for a walk. And I remember her meaning well by that, Mm. but she didn't understand the pain I was feeling. And finally, when I got to go and talk to my, I went to my old OBGYN that I like hadn't seen in a while. I was like, what's up? I went to you a while ago. Please, you're the only person I think will hear me, hear me. And she listened and she said, you need pelvic floor PT. You have four finger diastasis recti. You have scar tissue damage and nerve damage and a weak bladder basically. (laughs) So she was like, look, like you have a lot of like damage to your body. You need PT. That in and of itself, the fact that I had to jump through hoops to figure that out, you know how many moms aren't? You know how badly their mental health is impacted because they're not? Do you know how much that would change if one person just sat down with them and said, hey, truly, this isn't something where I'm just gonna sit you down and say you're clear to drive, you're clear to exercise. Like I was clear to exercise and I could barely lift my kid. Wow. So imagine if I'm the one staying home taking care of him all day, 
what that feels like. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine how discouraging it is when you feel like something's off, yet there, no one's listening to you, no one's giving you a solution, no one's offering you an opportunity to explain or ask questions. So I can imagine how it might be, you know, someone might resort to just being like, okay, well, I guess I'll push through. I guess I'll just figure it out on my own, right? And they kind of give up because they feel defeated. So good for you for not letting that happen because clearly... I don't, I don't know if it would have ever healed up on its own. It doesn't sound like it, but if it could have, it certainly wouldn't have happened as quickly as it did if you hadn't gone um, and, you know, gotten the help that you needed and taken care of yourself. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't say for sure. I mean, I'm still, I still go to PT to this day, right? It's been mm. two years, but that's the other surgery as well. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, I heard that story enough times on different mom groups that I just finally decided, you know what? I have the skills, I have the resources, you know, I can I can share these stories. I'm just gonna do it. Like if you want something done right, do it yourself. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna do it. I'm just gonna make a documentary. So <laughs> pulling it together and just doing it. And yeah, here we are. So I'm so happy I am because when I talk to these moms, like just to have someone else validate that experience for them, they're like, wow, this isn't just me, thank you. And I'm like, yeah. Girl, I got you. I wish more people like would talk about this more often. And I think that's the community that, you know, a lot of us are gravitating towards are open, honest. There are a lot of influencers that speak out about it. There are a lot of like mom advocates that speak out on social media. And I think a lot of people are gravitating towards that because we need it. Like the more people that yes. shout from the rooftops about postpartum, you know, mental health, physical health, it just maternal health care in general, the more people that speak up, like, please, the better. Power to you. I commend you wholeheartedly. You're right. I think that, you know, most people will be like, yeah, I'm going to talk about my experience. I'm going to put it out there. If someone, you know, wants to ask me questions, I'm happy to. But you really went above and beyond and took it a step further. And that I think is the true act of selflessness, because you've already been able to get your your head wrapped around your situation right and i and i think you know what you need for yourself but to do this this is really about purely wanting to help others and it takes a special kind of person to do that so thank you for that i know there's a lot of people out there they're going to be very appreciative and i know that there's gonna be a lot of good that comes from this and i am so excited to see the progress that's made with all these conversations you're having and i am not a mom yet but i cannot wait till that day when i get pregnant and then i'm going to my second and third uh post what is it what is it called post birth appointment <laughs> oh, postpartum postpartum yeah postpartum postpartum checkup oh yeah. yeah i guess i always want to say postpartum like it's postpartum depression but it's not postpartum checkup yep yeah, yeah. and i'm gonna be like you know what this is all because of emmeline oh thank you <laughs> hopefully i, I can really make a lost, small change like, the, the power that that had when i screwed it all up but you people know clearly i felt it <laughs> thank you thank you that's what I'm saying. I'm going to be at that second or third appointment and I'm going to know it was because of you. Oh, so thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Hopefully um, where can people find you on social media to follow along with the journey until then? So on YouTube at Emmeline Reed um, and then on Instagram at Emmeline.Reed. 
Perfect. Thank you so much for being here and coming on. There's a million other things that I know we could talk about, but we would be <laughs> here all night. Um, but I do want to leave them with this last question that I have for you, which is, um, you know, there maybe either is one um, really special takeaway from this entire conversation that's important to you that you want them to really remember and help help sink in maybe it's something you think about younger emily and something you wish you knew sooner or a lesson that you learned the hard way that you want to kind of help others through what's your like go-to staple piece of advice for everyone listening um if i was to pick one i think it would be the quote that has sat in my head for some time it is the one that has led me on my journey to where i am now it is the one that has caused me to have the strength to stand up and fight when i was battling postpartum depression it is the one that i think really can change the world if people really own it and it's be who you are not who the world wants you to be amen i couldn't agree more I think that gets in our way more than we would like to admit. And so it's a really great reminder. I'm going to put it. I have some little um, quotes and like mantras that I put on sticky notes in my mirror. I'm going to add that one. I like Thanks. that one I made a the lot. mirror. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> you made the mirror, girl. Thank you again for being here. It was so thank great you. to finally meet you. And I'm so happy we had this discussion. And thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye.